evening everyone. Um, last Sunday we had a Sarsenkaisen meeting and the subject of that talk was um, one of the Zen precepts which is meeting others on equal ground and the, uh, that's Diane Rosetto's version of it, she's a, another teacher in our school. But the traditional way that that um, precept is worded is um, um, not praising oneself and abusing others or another version of it is not praising oneself at the expense of others and what I wanted to talk about briefly tonight was a companion precept to that which is similar but a little bit different and that is the one that precedes it which um, in Diane's words uh, um, meeting others with openness and possibility and the traditional way of wording it is not criticising the faults of others. So they go together as a companion pair because it's, they're both addressing the issue of equality. In one way we distort that equality by putting ourselves, um, by praising ourselves or inflating ourselves and in the other way we're actually putting other people down. They're less than us in some way. So it's a variation on the same theme of of distorting the sense of um, equality that runs through all things where um, from a Dharma perspective nothing is better or worse. Uh -huh. Things just are the way they are. But if we look at this preset more closely, and what's important about about talking these things out, you know, in a in a Dharma group, as I said on Sunday, is that with mindfulness having become very secular and being used in various areas of life, um, it all depends on how you use it. Mindfulness can be used to um, kick football goals more effectively, right? It can be used. It could be used to gamble more effectively. Like people who are gamblers are right there in the moment, wondering what's going to happen. Um, you can even um, be mindfully pointing a gun at someone. Mm -hmm. There's various ways that it can be used. But the way mindfulness is practiced within the context of the Dharma is to cultivate wisdom and to uh, lead a life of non-harming or to minimise the amount of harm that we actually may do in the world. And the precepts can be seen from various different angles. One they can be taken literally in the sense of, you know, don't harm because harming is not a good thing to do. But at a deeper level, um, to, to act in accordance, to, for our life to be in accordance with the precepts of non-harming um, is an expression of how an awakened person would live. They're an expression of how a Buddha would live their life, is that they'd have a sense of the interconnectedness of all things, you know, and the, the sense of no self. And if you saw life in that way and experienced life in that way, then automatically you would not want to do any harm because you'd see everything as yourself. Right? You wouldn't want to harm yourself. So there's different ways in which it can be examined. But if we focus in on this precept about treating others with openness and possibility, or not criticising the faults of others. It's really, I mean, we're all human beings, we all have faults, right? And, um, or we, we act, we have patterns of acting, 
habitual patterns of acting inappropriately at times, you know, to life events. Um, it's part of taking up Dharma practice that you actually recognise that um, as a human being, to some, at some level, to some degree, it's probably harm you do in the world. It's a matter of addressing that. As I said on previous occasions, nearly all of us could write a PhD thesis on how other people harm us. Right? Um, but very few people have a, a lot of people have a blind spot in terms of how we may harm others. And um, practicing with the precepts and mindfulness and with wisdom turns the spotlight on that as well. Mm -hmm. So with this precept, what happens? We all have faults. But when we're stuck in criticising the faults of other people, it's though the delusion involved in it is we've frozen the person mm -hmm. into, a, into an identity. Um, and an indication that the, we've done that is rather than just maybe stating a here and now behaviour that's occurred, we start talking in absolutes. Um, he's always unreliable. He never turns up on time. Mm -hmm. And yes, someone may have a pattern of being unreliable, you know, based on our experience, but as soon as we freeze them into a fixed identity, um, we're not open to what happens moment to moment with that person or the way that they relate to us. Um, a way into understanding it, would we relate to ourselves in that way? Would we say to ourselves, we're always unreliable, or we're never this or always that? We know from our own meditation practice and our own, particularly our practice of labelling, that it's a delusion to freeze yourself into a particular identity, into a fixed identity. We know from our own stream of consciousness that we're changing all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's patterns of behaviour we might have, but we're changing all the time. One of the, one of the, del the basic delusions of all kinds of Buddhist practices trying to challenge is fixed ideas. Right? As soon as you've got a fixed idea, stuck, including the, the criticisms you may make of yourself, you know, like I'm worthless or I'm stupid or whatever it might be, they're fixed ideas. So if we'd not like to relate to ourselves with fixed ideas, then it would be equally delusional to relate to others with fixed ideas. The other component of this is the psychology of in-groups and out-groups and why people get caught up in criticising the faults of others and then sharing it with others. Mm -hmm. Because if person A and B talk about the faults of person C, then they create an in-group. We both agree with, another, with one another about person C, so we get to be on the inside affirming each other's views and we're kind of safe within that little bubble, you know, of agreement, which excludes another person. And some psychologists say that it creates a kind of bonding between people, but it's a very um, unwholesome kind of bonding and um, a very false kind of bonding to make someone else the enemy so that you feel validated in some way. There are much more healthy ways of creating bonding rather than through criticising the faults of others, which is what 
gossip is. And gossip can be very, very prevalent. So in working with this precept, you know, it's simply a matter of um, making a point of paying attention to when we get caught up in, in criticising the faults of others, is whether we in some way are really just relating to our belief about that person rather than that three-dimensional person in this moment in time. Um, I've created um, an intervention in couple therapy which is based on this model and it seems to work for, for a lot of people with the feedback I get back. And what, So what the intervention is with couples who see me for couple therapy I say, do you know how you, when you're not getting on with your partner and you're arguing, you often get caught up in ruminating on their, their negative characteristics, do you know, like they're, they're non-communicative or um, they don't spend enough time with me, they're always doing things with other people or whatever it might be. And couples in, in relationships will ruminate on <coughs> the negative aspects of their partner. So what I suggest them to do is not, not get caught up so much in whether the thoughts that partner they have are true or false. Because if you know, you've been living with someone for years, you know what they're like and they know what you're like. So it's not a matter of getting caught up in whether it's true or not. It's really making the point that if you just ruminate on it over and over again and reinforce it in your own mind the way this person is, you've created a fixed identity and there's not a chance for any openness or possibility to come through. Mm -hmm. So your partner may come back and be in a really good mood and smile at you or whatever, but you've got this belief that they're grumpy, right? So you, you're not actually relating in here and now experience, you're relating from your memory. So it's delusional. And when I give this to couples to do, they quite frequently come back and say, that that really made a difference. I really recognised how much I actually ruminate on my partner's faults and and I'm locked into it, you know, and I'm not actually I'm not actually relating to the here and now person anymore. So as soon it's kinda of like throwing a spanner in the works when you become mindful. It gives an opportunity of something else fresh to come up. That's the openness and possibility aspect of this. As soon as you're not locked into your fixed view of someone, then that's openness and possibility. And that's the spirit of the precept. Not only is it aimed at um, us examining, being mindful of the language we use, it's also being mindful about the thinking processes that we get caught up in. And again, it's not, it's not a matter of... Um, the words I'm looking for. So it's not a matter of gilding the lily, you know, of just some having some positive idea of people. You know, it's a matter of having a realistic idea of ourselves and other people. And that um, it's not as though everyone's perfect. We're not. Um, it's a matter, and it's a matter of calling out, say, like abusive behaviour when it's occurring, or unkind behaviour. But it's addressing something which is momentary rather than um, uh, creating a fixed position on anyone.
and to finish off, do you know, um, that golden rule which is a, in, in Christianity, but it sort of could apply in, um, in any religion or secular view, of treating others the way that we would like to be treated. You know? Who would want to be on the receiving end of a fixed view of how they are? None of us would like that. Um, and so we practice in that sense of treating others in the way that we would like to be treated. <laughs>